Hey y'all, uh, this is Last Jackson. You are listening to Pistons vs. Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Uh, today is Wednesday, December 18th, and the Detroit Pistons lost to the Toronto Raptors 112-99 to because they shot 17% from three, and I could talk about that, but I'm not going to. What you're going to get today is actually uh, something a little bit better. It's a, it's a lost episode of Pistons versus Everybody that I recorded with uh, Alex Kungu uh, earlier this fall, I believe. Um, and that is going to be, it's about the uh, Boston Celtics, the Pistons' next opponent. They played the Celtics for the first time this year on Friday. Uh, that is a more lively and interesting discussion than the one that I think we would have around a game in which the Pistons sat, again, 17% from three. So enjoy, enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening. Blue Wire. Blake Griffin has been traded to the Detroit Pistons. Blake Griffin turns, drives, lays it up, lays it in. Reggie Bullock got it. Turns, fires, he fills it up. Let's just let's just get started. Okay. All right, welcome, welcome to Pistons versus Everybody on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. We are still like a month away from the season starting, and uh, to that end, we're going to be doing season previews to start the season. Uh, joining me for our first team uh, preview is Alex Kungu. Alex uh, is a bunch of places, including his own uh, new blog called Hoops Island. Do I got that right? Yes, you do. Hoops Island. So what's what's that been like trying to get that off the ground? Um, I really love like FIBA couldn't have come at a better time. It was great to just have competitive basketball in the middle of the summer. So that helped a lot and kind of like brought people's attention to the fact that I do have another site. But we'll see how the season goes. We'll see how that grind works for me. Oh yeah, no, I'm and I'm sure it'll work for you because you're a real talented dude with uh real, real clear-minded views about like where basketball is headed, and so you guys should absolutely read Alex at Hoops Island. You should read him also at Celtics Blog. He does uh, he did some occasional stuff at the Step In. I don't know if that's going to continue. Is that going to continue? We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, the reason I got you on is to talk about the Boston Celtics. So first question. Is Brad Stevens going to somehow ring a top five defense out of Ennis Cantor? Is that humanly possible? Well, I mean, after last year's 67 win, 2019 NBA championship, I think President Stevens can do anything. Wait, that's, <laughs> um, wait, that's not, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, just. <laughs> God, I hate this team so much. Um, yeah, Ennis Cantor, defense. I don't, you know, back in 2015-16, the Celtics had a top five defense with a front court of Jared Selinger and Amir Johnson. This front court is probably going to be worse defensively than that one. The idea of the Celtics being a top five defense is highly unlikely. I actually don't even, I'm not even sure if Ennis Cantor should start because it could get really, really bad if you have Kemba Walker and Ennis Cantor defending pick and rolls. So the answer to your question is I, absolutely not. No. So wait, so if Cantor doesn't start, what would the starting lineup be? Because like, I'm looking at your bigs right now and like, would it be like Tice? Like, I don't remember him impressing me that much as a defender. Like, I really don't think you're going to start Taco, but, like, I guess that's possible. Like, what, who who else is going to be there if not Cantor? So I've been getting a lot of flack with this, but I'm going to go with either Vincent Poirier or Robert the Time Lord Williams the third or the second. Wait, are we ready I for think, Time Lord? Is Time Lord I ready? I don't know. I'm don't so know excited. Ready. Yeah, so my, my thinking with this is that I think the other four starters are going to be Kemba, Jalen, Tatum, and Hayward. And I see those guys as like perimeter-oriented players, all want the ball in their hands, are going to want to shoot. So I think the perfect archetype for that for the big is just maybe like a rim roller slash like slasher, a guy just going to run the floor, rebound to a dirty work, and it's not going to ask for touches as much. I think that's a better balance, which is why I lean more towards a guy like Time Lord or a guy like Vincent Poirier who had some really interesting moments for the, for France's national team. Um, he backed up. 
Gobert, he was he's very much like it's a very clear book what he does. Like he runs the floor, he catches alley oops, he rebounds. And I think just someone some low usage guy like that works better than having Ennis Cantor starting. But again, Cantor's the most experienced guy, so we'll see how that goes. But that wouldn't be my first option to start personally. Hmm. Okay. So I'll like that if with that starting lineup, you end up with a bench unit of like smart Grant Cantor semi. Yeah, it gets like real that? it gets real dicey. Yeah. I mean, Smart and Cantor are probably the two vocal points. Those are the guys that like they're, they're the bet guys. They should be the ones that kind of lead the unit. But though though that three in between, like the wings and stuff, like it could be Carson Edwards, it could be or it could be Brad Wanamaker. It could be some combination of Semi Ojale, Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, who a lot of people forget are <laughs> is on the team. Um, yeah, like it's really dicey with that second unit and it's just not a lot of proven talent. So that's probably going to be a weakness for the Celtics, no matter who, who's starting or not. Like they're going to rely on a lot of kids or people who just weren't good enough to even be on a rotation last year. Yeah. I think that's something that like secretly gets lost when people talk about this Celtics team is that it's not necessarily, um, their lack of like what they lost this offseason because obviously people are going to talk about the loss of Al Horford and the whole Kyrie Irving uh, experience I think is a good way to refer to that but uh like yeah the what and you know the sign and trade for Kemba and getting rid of Terry Rozier but like this team is not the this team is not last year's team it's not it's not the team it was when like IT was leading them either like this team is not it, it's there's no guarantee that this is like the third best team in the East, which if you just look at the starting lineup, you you would think they were, right? Yeah, but also no, because I was just thinking about this the other day. Like, let's just match up because we're on a Pistons podcast. If you look at the Pistons versus Celtics, um, if you asked like 50 people who the best player in that series was, it'd be Blake Griffin. Like, would it not be? It it's like they don't, would. yeah, like they're, they don't have that like top end talent anymore and so much of what they're going to be relying on is unproven and it's so much of like i'm just going to put blind faith in gordon hayward being an all-star again or Jason tatum taking a leap or grant williams looking like you know like a mini pj tucker it's not stuff that like you can today say this is going to happen this is why they're going to be good so i think a lot of the stuff people saying they're, they're the third seed it's just it's not it's there's no evidence to suggest that we should be that optimistic on them at all. So so where is where is Hayward? Like I know we've seen uh I think some like minor off-season video work from him. Um obviously there was the tragic injury uh 2 years ago. Uh but your the thought process normally goes like a year after the injury is when guys are back to 100%. But like he he and there was People said he improved as the year went on. Like I didn't see it in the playoffs, which is when I, which is when you would think you'd expect to see it at that time. And so I've just been like really dubious about Hayward this entire time. Like where, how far along do you think he is? Yeah. So last year was really weird because he started, which you know we should really get on. We should really question Brad Stevens on how he watched Hayward in practices for two months and decided it'd be a good idea to start him. That's another story, though. He started. He did not look well. Um, they took him off. He came off the bench. He had a couple of like weird like games where like he wouldn't miss and drop like thirty. Like he did it like twice in the year. As the year went on, what 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 people were referring to was he started getting like a little bit more efficient and he got a, he got a little bit more confidence in himself. But it still was nowhere near the all star level of who he was. But I think what you saw in April versus okay it wasn't against the bucks but if you had watched that weird celtics pacer series he kind of looked like a guy who like you could rely on again like he had like a really nice dunk on miles turner like he was hitting threes he was taking guys off the dribble and it really looked like maybe like he could be something but then i don't know what happened in that book series like i mean like how much of that is a function of being guarding by Boyan Bogdanovich. No, that's a good point. Maybe that's really all that was. And then once he played, he faced the Bucks, faced real lengths, it just all went away. You're completely right. Maybe it could have just been as simple as that. Um, 
I can say what they're telling us now is that he's been in Boston all summer. Um, he's he should be a hundred percent comfortable with his ankle. Like that should be completely gone. Um, and his Cantor was talking about playing him in scrimmages, um, saying he looked completely like healthy again. And that's a guy who again played with him in Utah for three and a half years. Um, Grant Williams, the rookie, said he looked good, but those are also his teammates. So take that with a grain of salt. But really, like we'll see. Like he should be a hundred percent healthy, and if he's if he's a hundred percent healthy, he should theoretically be the guy that we expected when they signed to a max contract. And if he's not, you know, like he should be the number one trade chip. So like I want I want Pistons fans to like listen to this segment on Hayward like very closely because like I one thing that we saw a lot of during the summer is because of the uh, confusion surrounding like what the future is for Detroit, there was this thought like, oh you could buy low on Hayward by trading him for Andre Drummond, which is like not a buy low thing, but that's neither here nor there. But like the we we still don't know if Hayward is going to be like an impact NBA player. And if he's just a role player, like he's going to be a fairly good role player because he's an intelligent guy who can still spread the floor. But at the same time, like he's going to make what? Okay, I, I actually have this up. He's going to make thirty two point seven million dollars this year. Like that is not a guy. And if he's playing like a fifteen million dollar player, even if he's playing like Evan Fournier, right? Like you, that's still like negative fifteen million dollars of, of value that you're just not getting on the court every night. And so, like I, I hope Gordon. Actually, I don't hope Gordon is where he has, where he uh, was before because that would be bad for the Pistons. But, but uh, on the whole, like I hope Gordon Hayward is the part is a part of a, a functioning uh, uh, starting rotation. But like I don't I don't know if it's reasonable to expect much more than that, honestly. Yeah, I mean the fair bet is to just not assume anything, be completely unassuming, and just see where it goes. But if you ask me, like I'm I do think that it should really just be he's either back or, you know, you start looking for trade partners for him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So so what hurts more, that Al Horford left or that he went to the Sixers? It hurts more that he left because I don't really understand where he fits with the Sixers. And I genuinely feel like the Sixers got him as like a plan like B, I don't think this was their initial plan. I think this was just their their con- not a full panic move, but it was just the next move they saw that was great after losing Jimmy Butler. I don't know where he fits with the Sixers, but that's a different conversation. It hurts the Celtics more because now you're now we're leading podcast with can Brad Stevens lead an Ennis Cantor led defense <laughs> to a top five defense. Like I think that I, that says enough. Like we don't like the Celtics had no recourse for Al Horford leaving. Um, it was something that Danny Ainge said. Like right after the draft, he's like a priority. He's our he's our top priority to keep. So to lose him, and not even really to lose him, they valued Kemba Walker over him because they didn't have they didn't have to go after Kemba Walker. They could have given that same max money, matched Philly's offer, probably kept Aaron Baines, and then. You know, they would have had to go with the kids plus Horford and Baines, which they could have done. And they really felt that Horford was that valuable. But they made the decision that Kemba was worth more. And, you know, like, they'll pay for it when they have to watch Ennis Cantor defend pick and roll. So, yeah, it's it's definitely definitely tough to watch him leave. It's been such a long summer. Like, I forgot that, like, Aaron Baines got traded on, like, draft night. Yeah, and... and then and then he's in FIBA like nailing threes like shooting like it's like he was like 50 40 90 in FIBA like just well no that was the thing against <laughs> Philly like two years ago right like his one corner three a game like broke Joel Embiid's ability to defend in half like yeah so it, it, yeah. yeah and that's another thing they traded him also so that, so they didn't pay they didn't pay Horford to to help make room for the max but part of that was also trading Aaron Baines so realistically they. They said the value of Kemba Walker was more than slightly overpaying Al Horford and keeping Aaron Baines. That's the thing that they did. Yeah, wasn't wasn't Horford above Kemba on the SI Top 100? I believe so. I think he was 18th and Kemba was 20th. Man, oh my gosh! Like I, I understand, like philosophically, from a front office perspective, I understand why you're like. No, we don't want to commit another $110 million to Al Horford 
for his age, 34, 35 and 36 years like that, that makes sense. But if like, if that's the case, like trade him or like, don't, don't let him out of his deal. Right. Like get that final year. Uh, Cause it was a player option. Right. Like yeah, so- tell him like, tell him you're coming back. Like, Hey man, like we'd, we'd love to have you like, we'd love to hammer some stuff out. Be our Paul Millsap for like, for our kids. Like, but if but to let him out of that or to it was it was heavily hinted at that uh is like it, it was wink wink nudge nudge if we let you out of this we'll bring you back and then to like not do everything in their power to bring him back like that doesn't make any cognitive sense to me none it makes it makes zero sense and if again kind of going back to gordon hayward talk if you believed in gordon hayward and thought he was going to be an all-star and you know how good al is because he's been probably our best player for since he's been here you know, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, and if you trust Tatum, like, that's not a bad core to start with. And it's like, you have a defensive personality, and, like, you have more of the offense going towards Tatum now. Like, that's a recipe where you could have still been a tough, competitive team. So to just... <sighs> I'm going to miss Al Horford, man. I'm going to miss him a lot. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like, he's, a, he's, again, 18th best player in the NBA, according to the... Uh, the one of the least uh, disagreed with SI top 100s I've seen in quite some time. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> but yeah, yeah continue. Sorry. That was, I mean, like, I think it was a combination of like FIBA and like just a distinct lack of like controversy. It's like, it, we, because most of these guys are like uh, sufficiently diffused like throughout the league, there's nobody where it's like, oh, like uh, there was no, there was no Blake Griffin at 40, right? There was no, um, trying to think of some crazy stuff. There was no uh like Deer and Fox like not being on the list this year. Like it a lot of it just just made sense. It was very well justified. Yeah. It was weird. I mean, I took exception to the fact that Marcus Smart was 82nd and Stephen Adams was 40th and they called Marcus Smart a defense specialist, but I don't know what apparently Stephen Adams is I, I don't know, Carl Anthony Towns. But, you know, that's that's a minor that's a minor fan quarrel. The larger well, no, point yeah to to be fair like you you did have to you do have to like remind everyone that like marcus smart is like actually a point guard and not just like andre roberson and in a (laughs) who like flexes a lot like yeah like no this guy can actually play offense like he shot above average from three last year he can run a pick and roll like he's you know the quality players quality two-way player like efficient in the pick and roll which is like what always like shocked me is like oh okay yeah he just uh yeah so which is another reason why I think they could have survived without having a value Kemba over Horford and Baines, but I'm, that's a, that's I'm belaboring really that point. Wait, so are you, so however, comma, however, like Kemba Walker is really good, should help immediately. And you're excited to have him on the team, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm really okay. excited to see him. Yeah. Okay. So, but like one thing that you have definitely harped on this summer is that the Celtics uh, will not have the success that they uh, portray themselves as desiring until they like pick a lane, right? Until they pick vets or they build around the kids. And so what, what's the lane? It sounds like the lane that you were envisioning them going with was, was sticking with the kids. Like, am I misreading you? Is that right? No, that was absolutely true. I do believe that just based on what they have, they have a guy in Jason Tatum who they believe highly and could be a star in this league. Um, they had Jalen Brown, who his valuation differs based on who you ask, but he was a guy who produced at a high level in the playoffs alongside Jason Tatum. You have Marcus Smart, who's an all-defensive player. You just took, you just made three first-round draft picks and then brought in like another two or three extra rookies you seem like a team that's shifting to the youth movement, but then you bring in Kemba, Hay- Kemba Walker. Then you also have Gordon Hayward. So it's kind of like if you want to win, you have to gear your team towards a win-now team. And I think that was a big problem last year. Like all the year last year you heard was vets versus young kids, vets versus young kids. And it's like, yeah, because when you have a team that's winning for a championship, you don't have a backups that are 20-year-old kids who – like are as delusional as someone like Terry Rozier who thought like him and Kyrie were going to split like lineups and that he was just as good. 
Like you bring in guys like DJ Augustine or Jameer Nelson who just know how to run an offense and are okay playing their 15 minutes. And that's how like your championship benches are traditionally built with vets who know how to complement the stars. And if you're going to build a young team and build around the young players, you have to put them in positions where they can grow and experience a lot of things and make a lot of mistakes and then learn from those mistakes and stuff. And they're not doing any of that because now they have the stars, which is going to limit guys like Tatum, Brown, Smart from kind of like trying to take next steps in their game. But then also because there's young guys who give inconsistent output on a day-to-day basis, you're also limiting your chances of winning for a guys like Kemba and Hayward. So to me, it's just you're just in this weird dance of trying to have your cake and eat it too. And that was fine when these guys were draft picks. But now they're people who are here in your building that you have to actually develop. <laughs> so you can't just sit there and just treat them like you're just stocked that you can just sit there with. Because guys are human beings. If you just don't play them like at all, like they're gonna they're gonna have reactions to that and they might not work as hard or it lo- or it lowers their chances of reaching their potential. And I just think if you're like listening to the Celtics and their front office and how they're always it's like banner eighteen or nothing, banner eighteen or nothing. Okay, then hold them accountable to that. You want to win chips, so make championship moves. That's all I, that's like, I don't know how that's even controversial. Like, if that's what you want, if that's what you're aiming for, that's what you're doing, then do that, period. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me, but like, I, I also kind of see like what the Celtics front office is doing because, like, if you're, if you are really going all out for Banner 18, like, you have to understand that a pair of 23 and under kids is like not going to get you there. Right. And so the hope is the, my, my, when I'm thinking about what their thought press process should be, it's like, okay, the vets we got last year, like blocked off our young kids, but like the vets we got last year were like also like uniquely not suited to be good facilitators for like shepherding our young kids, like into the future. Like Kyrie, like thought he was the future. And like he, he could have been the future, but um, it was like, well, and if you're, you know, Jalen Brown, you're looking at him like, like you, you are insane, man. Like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, and, and so now you, you move on to Kimba and Kimba is like revered around the league as a leader, still got the group chat with his Charlotte young, young kids going like nothing but class. And so you're hoping that that lack of conflict in the locker room translates to, uh, a more consistent effort and like alongside the development of your young guys, just like another year, like translates into better on court play. And like the other thing is right. Like, uh, like I know how much you hate this and I'm kind of sick of, of hearing it as well, but like the, the Gordon Hayward thing just like really screwed up the timeline for everything. But like Hayward should not, Hayward should not like single-handedly be blocking both of the J's. Right. Like, especially in your proposed starting lineup, like they're all playing on the floor together. So like his his inability to contribute at the level he's being compensated at, like should not prevent the other guys from from like meeting whatever outsized expectation the front office may or may not have for them. Like, does that make sense? Like it like like, yes, Hayward was like ineffective and like maybe he shouldn't have been starting and like maybe that would that wasn't the the best way to handle things by stevens but like if if you're jalen brown and you're really good like you just go and play and be really good and like not worry about that crap right correct and i think that also leads to another theme that i've been wondering about which is brad stevens and his his um use of guys that aren't point guards because i like just history from the time he's gotten here till this point he's only really made point guards better. Some of that was necessity to be fair because I wasn't, I wasn't expecting him to turn Jay Crowder to Jimmy Butler. Like I understand that at one point, Isaiah Thomas was the only person that could get a bucket consistently on his own. So I understand that. But last year, like you had two kids, like two wings who by themselves show that like they could they could create and they could be other things besides for what you had them for even Gordon Hayward for as much as maybe he struggled to get to the lane 
Um, he didn't necessarily finish the clip he wanted to. He didn't always play with the exact aggression that we've known him for from his Utah days. He was still a really good facilitator. He had one of his best passing seasons last year, even with all of that. And it was just like too many times you had these possessions where it was just like these guys are like just on the court for exercise. Like they're just running baseline to baseline, just sitting there on corners watching Terry Rozier jack up like 17, like 15 footers. And it was like, that was part of the problem last year is that you had Kyrie on the floor. You put everything to Kyrie, which is fine because Kyrie is a superstar offensive talent and he had an all NBA season, even with all his weirdness. Right. But then you take Kyrie off the floor and you use Terry Rozier as if he's Kyrie when you could have been positioning that offense towards Jason Tatum, um, towards Gordon Hare facilitating, towards more Jalen Brown and getting him looks where he can go downhill and kind of optimize his strengths better. And that just wasn't a thing that happened last year. So I'm really interested to see how now you have a guy like Kemba Walker who has excelled kind of playing off ball at times. Um, You saw in the limited time at FIBA, Jason Tatum was able to kind of create for himself. And when he was going downhill, his his shot selection was completely good. And he even showed a little bit of passing ability. You show you saw J, you saw Jalen Brown, who became one of the most consistent players when Tatum went down, playing the four, um, getting getting even showing some passing ability, getting downhill consistently. And it's like I need to Brad Stevens needs to prove that he can utilize that talent on the roster because, as far as we know, um, his offense really only helped point guards. No, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense actually. Because when you when I'm, I think about like how he helped Avery Bradley look like a competent offensive player, and but functionally had Avery Bradley like doing a lot of point guard stuff, right, with the ball in his hands a bunch. Yeah, a bunch of DHOs getting him getting him looks. I mean, Bradley still settled for his long twos, but you know. Um, he did look like someone who you could invest yeah, and, in. In in twenty fifteen, like it wasn't anathema to take long twos like that. Yeah, either. exactly. Alex, in a seven game series where we've already established that the Pistons have the best player on the court, if healthy, what would the result be? I think it's a seven game series. And based on what we know right now, so which means, you know, if I see something, okay, you know what I'm saying. I think the Pistons win right now. On September 18th, based on what we know about both teams, I know for a fact the Pistons have the best player. I know for a fact Andre Drummond gives the Celtics a lot of grief. Um, And I don't know a lot about the Celtics, but I do know those things for the Pistons. So it feels I feel comfortable saying that with the information in front of us now, I think the Pistons are the better, the safer bet. No, I mean, the thing that I always keep coming back to when I'm envisioning this is like, there's literally no one on the Celtics equipped to guard Blake. I mean, like maybe, maybe, maybe Shemi, maybe. Even last year, like Blake had his way with everyone. They tried Gordon. They tried Jalen. Um, they tried Tatum. They tried Mo- Marcus Morris. Like he is a uniquely <laughs> built player to kill the Celtics like wing heavy lineup. So that that is another factor to look out for. So yeah, like there's just there's just a clear path for the Pistons being able to take advantage of the Celtics and not the same clarity vice versa. Well, I mean the the thing vice versa is the Pistons don't have anyone who you could reliably count on to shut down both or all three of the Celtics most effective like wing options. Like sure. Like I I love Bruce Brown, but you're probably putting Bruce Brown on Kemba, not on one of the, not on the guy that has size over him. And so you're relying on like Tony Snell to guard Jason Tatum in a one-on-one situation. And so like maybe, maybe that's where the uh, Jason Tatum not being used effectively by Brad Stevens kicks in hopefully. But like, if not, Tatum's going to have his way with with Tony Snell and like we're going to have a series right yeah that's why I said I I, I said seven because I do kind of want to weigh in those factors like Kemba Walker is in fact good at basketball despite my tone during this podcast so is Jason Tatum and it's like the Celtics aren't like hopeless it's just that the Pistons really have a very strong um 
they have a very strong um, upper hand with the front court. And it's kind of something that I, I know you've talked about a little bit too. There's there, there's rest, there's less reliance on like the small ball era now. And I don't think, especially in the Eastern Conference, that's as big of an advantage. And I think one of the, and the Celtics are kind of built for that era still. They don't necessarily have a great front court. And some of their best lineups involve, you know, like all their best, their best five players are perimeter guys. And I think some of their best lineups involve them playing small. So that wouldn't be an actual advantage against the Pistons because they wouldn't be able to control Andre Drummond. They wouldn't be able to control Blake Griffin. And that could lead to a lot of second chance opportunities, a lot of points in the paint. Um, Being able to kill so much in the paint can then lead to kickouts and stuff like that. So just looking at the matchup, matchup, matchup to matchup wise, like it's not a, it's not a great one for the Celtics. Like, does that strike you as a potential like four or five playoff series? Is is that a reasonable place that you could put both teams during after a eighty two game regular season? Yeah, I think so. I think when you look at guys like the Celtics, Pistons, um, even the Heat, Nets, I all see them as teams that could end up in like th- in the three to six range. I look at them as teams that could win like anywhere from forty five to forty eight games. So absolutely, I see that as a potential thing that could happen. All right. So another thing that you've talked about that uh, like really resonated with me is the communication between uh, players and front offices about the importance of uh, analytics and how to integrate them into their game. Like uh, you've you've talked about how sometimes uh, like if the analytics are being communicated to the players in a similar manner that they are being communicated like on Twitter, like it's completely understandable why the players might uh, not be as uh, interested in uh, in the analytics as uh, as uh, the people whose jobs are invested in it are. Uh, there's kind of this air of uh, uh, there's this like air of haughtiness around like like no like this is the most efficient way to play basketball. And it's like well no you like you're not playing basketball like you how can you like tell me? And we saw a little bit of this last year. Not not the whole haughtiness thing, but we saw a little bit of this last year with uh, Dwayne Casey and his new coaching staff uh, revamping the offense. This was like really clear in the preseason, and they got used to it as the season went along. But uh, Casey's uh, philosophy of the shot spectrum just like really uh, screwed around with like Luke Kennard's game, for example. Like Luke Kennard is a guy who is uh, an elite shooter, but is an elite mid-range shooter and like shot over shot like CJ McCollum levels from the mid-range uh, in his first years understanding Gundy. He was told like don't take those shots anymore and you could see you could see his like brain processing and and uh the tentativeness that he played with was like a huge factor for the Pistons. Uh same thing with Ish Smith. Ish Smith is not a good career three-point shooter. Um I that was one of my big uh that was one of my big things about Ish was that like he severely limited the play, the Pistons because of his lack of shooting. And like early on in the season, you saw him like take a bunch of threes and like miss a bunch of threes and, and uh, you know, not, not uh, be his best self offensively because of his uh, lack of uh, skill set, like not fitting with Casey's shot spectrum. So like in your mind, like what's, what's the best way for like front offices to communicate better to players, the importance of analytics yeah, and I th- I think where to start off with is just this understanding that for people who do do analytics and they do do great work that I read and listen to and try to factor into my analysis, is they have to understand that they're not doctors. Like, you're not giving a prescription and telling someone to follow it. What's what Even something as simple as shot selection is not as simple as threes, layups, or free throws because even before analytics if you ask someone in 1996 what type of shots they would want they would tell you the same thing like they would want <laughs> shots at the rim first and then if you can get open open shots from three like it's very simple like anyone would want that 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 analytics did not solve that i think it there, there's this gray area where it's like they don't balance the actual game and how the game is actually played and that needs to be taken more into fact. I don't think analytics say the same thing for every single player. Certain players perform um, above analytics and below analytics. And I'll give you a good example. 
the Toronto Raptors for Serge Ibaka for, I want to say, like, 50 60% of the year shot what was equivalent to, like, 38% from three for mid-range. Like, pick and pop, automatic. Automatic, automatic, automatic. And if you're looking at that, like, some people would say, hey, man, why don't you just take a couple steps back and just shoot the three? That's that's a smart analytical play. But for Serge Ibaka, no. Like, even by, like, analytics, like, this was the best shot, and this is a shot he feels most comfortable with. And Miles Turner is kind of like that as well, where it's like it's not just as easy as some people take a step back. That's a completely different shot. Um, it's a completely different amount of power you have to put in it. It requires a completely different amount of touch, arc, like there's mechanics that go into these things that for certain players, like that's not, it's not always going to be the most efficient look. And I think that's, that's, that's what players gripe with the most is the end. You hear them say like, Oh, like that, like that's not my game. That's not my game. Yeah. Like they get comfortable doing certain things and maybe you could say, Hey, you need to work on this, but that's up for the summer. Like in the middle of the season, when you're approaching a player, and talking to him about what it is that you want to see more and see more, it needs to be more tailored to that player, not based on like this general view of trying to fit people into a box. And I think so much of kind of like what I was talking about and what I hear is that that's how a lot of it is just being talked about. Like it's just this big thing, shoot more threes, just take more threes, take more threes. And that's where you hear a lot of the pushback where even like, even analytically like Good players like Lou Williams actually takes a lot of good shots. So does LeBron James. And you hear LeBron James go like, man, these analytics, so they don't know what they're talking about. It's like LeBron takes some of the best shots in <laughs> like basketball. So it's like you can tell from like the way they talk about it, it's not so much as like they don't know what are good shots or not good shots. It's just that a lot of the times it feels like it's being portrayed as like this one size fits all. And it's not like that. That's not how basketball is played. So, yeah, for sure. I do think that they need to consider that more. And I do, and to people's credit, I do think coaching staffs consider that more. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's something that will be a continuing conversation even this year. Yeah. I mean, like, we talked about this a little bit earlier. But, like, the the big men in, in particular are, like, suffering under what a – under the weight of like what analytically good offense like means. And like, I've been obsessed with this because like Andre Drummond every year, like for the last couple of years has been like Andre's practicing threes, like in the off season. And it's like any like fool could tell you like, this is a, a terrible idea. Like it is highly unlikely that Andre Drummond will ever shoot like anywhere, n- anywhere North of 30% from three at a consistent rate. Like, why is he doing this? And like, the reason he's doing this is because like, there's a lot of pressure for big men to like be diverse offensively. And it's like, no, if you were just, if, uh, if he was excellent in his role, uh, if he was excellent, like as a, as a role man and, uh, as a, as an offensive rebounder, like which he is like that, that should be enough for some people, but it just, it just isn't. And like, that really frustrates me because like, I see the, I see the talent contained within Andre Drummond. Like, yes, I also see the bad things. Like, I also see the uh, the long-running, not-great experiments with, like, giving him the ball in the posts. But, like, born out of that is, like, now he's got a burgeoning face-up game. And, like, now he can shoot free throws. Now he can – you still don't want to, like, give him the ball and tell him to go get a bucket. But, like, he has the ability to do those things. And it's because, like, he worked on a part of his game that wasn't, like – operate 30 feet 30 feet from the basket right like he, we worked on a part of his game that wasn't like go be brook lopez and to me like if he hadn't done that like he would be a less valuable player than even if he had uh even if he worked on his three-pointer like all summer like it, it just doesn't make any sense for him to do that he's more effective driving and so like it just that just like really like frustrates and like irks me uh especially as like uh, a guy who is like keeping an eye on the, the rise of international centers, um, the rise of American born centers coming up in the draft. Um, you're going to need, you're going to need a guy to guard miles Turner. You're going to need a guy to guard Joel Embiid. You're going to need a guy to guard Nikola Jokic. And like those guys can't be six, eight, man. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like you're going to need some bigs to take on the bigs. Yeah. And I mean, even, even this year, like who's really closing games with like, five small guys at least in the eastern conference like 
the top teams, like their closing lineups are going to have centers in them. So I think like already you're already starting to see that like shift where it's like, hey, the importance of having like a big man that you can rely on and trust to late in games is higher than ever. And they can provide more value than just like standing on a corner. And I'd even argue like the gravity that even a guy like Drummond with his size, like just the gravity of him like being at the rim or like rolling to the rim, like that puts a lot of stress on defenses. And I wish more of these analytics were tailored towards like understanding the uniqueness of each player and building building your teams around the uniquenesses of each player where it's like you're doing things that like help and optimize their strengths, trying to minimize the weaknesses and fit guys in with each other where it's not instead of one size fits all, like you're you're placing like guys that are similarly strength or complementary strength with each other in lineups. I wish that's how we like it was generally viewed instead of just X player doesn't do this specific thing. So therefore they're done. Cause like, it's like, they're not robots, you know, like that's not how basketball is played in reality. No. Yeah. hundred percent. So what, while we're having this discussion though, like we're having this discussion, Andre Drummond has basically decided he's not going to exercise his player option and be one of the premier uh, unrestricted free agents this uh, this upcoming offseason, not the offseason we are currently in, the one after that. So wh- what do you think Andre's value is around the NBA? Like, What kind of contract do you foresee Andre getting on the open market next season? Oh, I think he's a max. I think, and that's kind of like the, the gift and the curse of the way our cap is kind of set up, where it's like the best player in the NBA and like the 35th best player in the NBA make the same thing. And I think I do think Andre Drummond is a top fifty player. And I so therefore like the market is gonna pay him max. Whether whether people think that's worth it or not is a whole is a completely exclusive conversation. But just straight up, the market to get a guy at that age, at that size, that skilled is gonna be max. Because the Pistons are gonna go after him and it's gonna be at least be and there's gonna at least be one other team. And that's all you need. So for sure. Like it's, it's max money. Yeah, man. That, that is a big worry of mine is that it don't, cause you're right. It only takes one team, right? Like I would love to sign Andre for below max money, honestly, and anything South of uh, like 28 ish million dollars would be great. But like a full 35% max is like $38 million. Like, do I want to give like Andre Drummond, like Joel Embiid money? Like I, I kind of don't. Because Joel Embiid's better. And so, like, that that's the tricky part that gets me. Like, yes, Andre, like, very much has clear value to other teams in the league. And, like, yes, there will be other teams that value him at a max or near max level. But, like, man, like, if you're the Pistons, that, like, really just, like, locks you into uh, a core of Blake and Andre moving forward. That makes it really important for you to get um, – for you to f- – identify and procure a third guy that fits alongside both of those guys, both both offensively and defensively, because Blake is slowing down defensively, and that's going to be a concern like, in the next couple seasons. And so that's, that's really debatable. Man, a full a full 35% max. That is well, I mean, a lot so, so like the alternative is what? Like you let him go to like the Knicks or something, and then you trade Blake Griffin, and then you just kind of start over? And yeah, you just start over, yeah. And that that's the other tricky thing, right? Like, and there, there have been a lot of people who have been clamoring to start over for quite some time. But and that's like, rough. Honestly, just get a new arena like that to just automatically. Yeah. Just, that doesn't. Well, like, you got the one playoff series, right? Like, you got the one playoff series in the new arena, and now, and now you can tank. The other thing is, though, like, they have a decent amount of, like, young guys who, if you, like, squint, could make an impact in a couple of years. They got your boy Boston Bruce. They got yes. Luke Kennard, who is a whose like ceiling is like probably like a very solid like shooting guard, but like, you know, Buddy Heald's about to make twenty million dollars. So like very solid shooting guards get paid. Um they've got the kid Sekou Dumbuya. Um they've got uh they've got like Kyrie Thomas. They've got they've got options that don't that you can that you can uh identify as like future value uh in the not too distant future like no, if you're looking for it no christian would love none this is not that's not happening i don't know so like 
I don't know if Christian Woods is a part of this team's long-term plans, right? Like, yeah. as much as I like him, I mean, like, I would have him over Thon. I would have, like, traded Thon, like, two months ago. But, like, he's fighting with 38-year-old, a big three MVP, six-time All-Star Joe Johnson for the final for the final roster spot. Joe and so, Johnson, like, man. Joe Johnson. No, we have, to talk, we have to talk about that. Like, you have Joe Johnson on your team, man. So Joe Johnson was a Pistons killer for like the entirety of the 2010s. But like we are at the end of of the 2010s (laughs) and and Joe Johnson is 38 years old. Oh man, I'll never forgive Joe Johnson for uh, making my idol uh, breakdance live on television. Oh man, uh, he almost sent my guy the truth back to another wheelchair. Um, I, I'll never forgive him for that. But yeah, man, Joe Johnson, killer. He was. It was funny because like he was the like during like Hayward's best year in Utah. Joe he Johnson, yeah, guy. like that was the closer. <laughs> that was the closer. It wasn't Gordon Hayward. It was him. So like it would be cool to see him just recapture that magic for like the first two months of the season. I'm definitely here for that. Well, for me, it was like, okay, look, you you drafted Seku. He's eighteen. He speaks English like pretty well, but not like amazingly. If we're being a hundred percent honest, and you need somebody to like show him how to be an NBA professional. It's like, do you want that person to be Michael Beasley, or do you want that person to be Joe Johnson? Like that, that seems like a pretty easy choice to me. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if like someone like Don Maker took him under his wing because it's, it's always the people that you don't expect, like. I remember hearing a story. No, 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 not even like this. This actually happened recently. Um, the JJ Reddick podcast with Zach Lowe, where he made like this comment where he was talking about team dinners, and then he was like, "Oh yeah, during I mean during road games, Jamal Crawford never came out of his hotel rooms. Jamal Crawford, that's someone that like people just without even thinking, oh, he'll bring a good vet presence to to your team or whatever." And just, he was a guy that, like, he never came out to team dinners. He just stayed in his room the whole time. Or even a guy like Al Horford, who, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the Boston thing, kick kick you on the way out. Oh, like, kick him dude, on the way out the that, door. I like it. That's I what like we it. do. He's, he's known as, like, a veteran leader. But where were you last year, buddy? You were the oldest guy on the team. You were letting Kyrie talk crazy. And, like, where were you to set the record straight? Like, where were you to say... Like, this is not how we do things. Like, where were you to put that there? So, it's like, a lot of these guys, like, they get this, like, title because they're because they're naturally old. But it's like, you know, it's a guy that you don't expect. It's like, Jalen Brown said Gerald Green was his veteran. Gerald Green. So, it's like, <laughs> it, 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 it wouldn't surprise me if, like, Sekou got put under his wing by, like, someone you're just, like, not even expecting, like, at all. And you see, like, oh, man. and you, and you see, like, your man James, like, post the athletic post on um, Don and Sekou's budding friendship. Man, <laughs> if if that keeps Don like paid and getting an extension on this team, I'm gonna be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, Thon at, at 24 was great veteran leadership. It's like, or maybe Markeith Morris, you know, Markeith Morris will introduce Sekou. Have him saying John everywhere, eating cheesesteaks, family over everything. <laughs> you never know who's going to be the bet. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. All right. So we are coming up on uh, the end of the podcast. Um, there is there's one question I want to start doing that I haven't done before. So, like, what we've we've covered a wide range of, of topics throughout this entire thing. What what? Did you want to talk about that I haven't asked you though? Like what what's been on your mind? Uh, I just I I was surprised you didn't we didn't talk about Kyrie. We really we like I think during this whole time we didn't we made comments about him leaving, but we didn't we didn't get to talk about what that what that was like. But I figured you were just being a good friend. You didn't want to make me reel up traumas, so you just let it go. But yes, I'm very surprised, but also pleased that uh, we did not have to deal with Kyrie. See, I thought you were going to say I didn't ask you about Terry Rozier. Oh, and all the stuff you said last year. I don't even know who. But, who? 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 
<laughs> we, we could talk about that. We could talk about that later. But no, like, so Kyrie was good. Kyrie was all NBA good. He trashed the chemistry in the locker room. He was your best crunch time player. He was an all-star. Like, Kyrie is multifaceted. He's a he's a wild boy. He's got deep connections in the Native American community, which is like something you educated me about that like I didn't even know. So like Kyrie is a complex dude. Like what what are your complex thoughts on Kyrie? He tanked a playoff series. He legitimately was like in the playoffs. I'm done with this team. I'm done trying. Let me switch on to Giannis Antetokounmpo for no reason. Let me switch on to Chris Middleton for no reason. See, no, Let me I thought hijack. that was like a misguided. Like he tanked the playoff series. Like I thought that was a misguided attempt at leadership. Be like, come on, guys. Like I'm a guard, Giannis. Like I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get this done. But it's like I can't guard Giannis because I'm Kyrie. He, so. Like he's a, he's an intelligent basketball player. He knew what he was doing. He is like six three. Like, you're not going to guard Giannis. You never did that the entire time we played them in the series. But now suddenly it's like, oh, I'm going to show you guys. Hey, Al Horford, you definitely can't bang with Giannis. But you know who can? Me. Because I'm Kyrie. Like, come on. You tanked a playoff series. Like, at, like we can – it was his choice to leave no matter what he said in October. He had every right to go to Brooklyn if that's where he feels comfortable, if that's where his family is. That is fine. Right? If he was planning that, so does every other superstar. Okay, that's fine. You tank the playoff series after a whole year of saying the regular season does not matter. That when the playoffs come, my lights shine the bright. This is when I really love the game. All those things, all those things he said. You tank the playoff series. Should have taken thirty shots. Yeah, like yo, but like just don't. Don't tank the series. I would never. I will. I will personally never forgive him for that. Never, never. Do you think that this is my like pet theory about Kyrie? Is that because now he's got the ring, like he's impenetrable, like you can't say anything to him ever, and like now because he's got the ring, like a couple more years of the production that he put up, like last year, like he's probably a hall of famer despite like everything and so it's just like in his mind like what can you teach him that like he doesn't already know because he's got a ring but like what does he want because like when he came to boston the whole thing was i need a show like i could win it's it it was like the whole kobe thing right like shaq leaves kobe and then makes a comment you know like oh you can't win without me and that fuels kobe and that kind of felt like the thing with Kyrie. like everyone's kind of saying he's a sidekick like, he goes on first takes and, like, oh, I can't wait to play my position again. Like, he's supposed to be the leader. That's a whole theme going into that year. Like, your whole thing was to prove that by yourself, you are the type of star that can be the face of a championship team. And you take the playoff series, bro. Like, I I would never forgive him for that. Never. Never. One, 100% fair. Uh, that Alex Kungu, Alex uh, can be found at Celtics blog on the Stepien at his own personal blog, Hoops Island, which I definitely highly re- recommend checking out. Uh, what's You've changed your Twitter at like four times. What's your Twitter yeah, at? Yeah, the official one, my last name, Kungu, K-U-N-G-U, underscore NBA. All right. That is Alex. I am Laz, and we will talk to you guys later.